Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Today on the California Report magazine, this holiday weekend, while so many of us Californians are sheltering in place and sticking close to home, we figured we'd take you on a virtual road trip for your ears, a listening tour to some out-of-the-way secret spots, not the usual California tourist destinations. To watch the sunset and be listening to jazz here, I, I can't imagine any place on the planet that's quite like where we are right now. Today we're digging into our archives and we're going to bring you some of our favorite stories about hidden gems in the Golden State. Some of them are temporarily closed due to COVID. Others have just opened back up with social distancing requirements, like a free museum dedicated to pop culture in the San Fernando Valley. It's a lot easier for me to find something from the 1800s than it is to find a picture from a mall that opened in the 70s. We'll also make stops in some California towns with very unusual names. When I tell people I come from Rough and Ready, they go, are you kidding me? I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Starting route to Chatsworth. Settle down and never more roam and make the San Fernando Valley my home. When Bing Crosby released this hit back in 1944, the valley was still pretty close to the Wild West. But since then, the populations of communities like Tarzana, Reseda, and Van Nuys have exploded. And they spawned a history and a culture all their own. The Valley Relics Museum is a shrine to the things that defined 20th century life in the region that's often thought of as L.A.'s suburban stepchild. Peter Gilstrap takes us there. It's a busy Saturday morning at the museum, which is located in a nondescript warehouse tucked away on a street of nondescript warehouses. A man has just arrived bearing an exciting and culturally significant donation. So you just walked in here with what? Uh, Taco Bell Bell. <laughs> Chatsworth native John Both is carrying a weathered plastic bell he's had for over 30 years. Someone apparently spray painted it blue once, but the provenance is unimpeachable. 
And where did you get this Taco Bell? Uh, from the roof of the Taco Bell in Chatsworth. A friend of mine climbed up on the roof and took it. I had it hanging on my roll bar of a truck for a long time. I figured he'd, he'd like to have it. The he in question is Valley native Tommy Gelinas, a custom t-shirt designer by trade who founded the museum with his own collection of Valley ephemera 17 years ago. Tommy loves the bell. This is part of that pop culture coolness that has slowly disappeared. Gelinas became obsessed with preserving the valley he knew growing up in the 70s and 80s. The long gone ice cream stands, the fast food joints, cocktail lounges and record stores that seemed mundane decades ago have become things of significance now. And as I started to look for it, I realized that the valley has been stripped of its history and there really is no preservation. That history has a safe haven here. Gelinas has over 15,000 items crammed into this 5,000 square foot space and it's a dazzling parade of cultural eye candy. Here, you know, we're not claiming to be the Smithsonian. What it is, it's kind of like a resting place for our local history. That includes Western Taylor Nudie Cone's 65 Bonneville wagon with chrome pistols and steer horns mounted on the hood. It includes props and costumes from locally shot B-grade Westerns. And cool stuff from low-budget sci-fi and monster movies. But it's not all kitsch. Gelinas pays tribute to the aerospace and auto industries back when Lockheed and GM ruled the valley. Chevrolet Camaro, the driver's car. Yeah, they made Camaros here. The museum may not be filled with antiques, but collecting artifacts from the recent past still took some doing. It's a lot easier for me to find something from the 1800s than it is to find a picture from a mall that opened in the 70s. And shining down on everything are dozens of enormous neon signs rescued from scrap heaps and forgotten warehouses, brought back to life to hum and glow you into the past, whether you lived through it the first time around or not. I was born in 1998, <laughs> so I think it's really cool that all this stuff from this period of time is like in one place. That's Lucy Giles. She's visiting from Long Beach with her friend Vinnie Towser. And it's not like typical stuff. It's like more rare, little sub-pop culture stuff. Yeah, the Del Taco Astra. <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. But the humble valley, beleaguered home to earthquakes, porn, and high-speed cop chases, has often been a harder sell in the cool department. Again, Tommy Gelinas. The valley has been talked down, but think about any place in the world where you can open a yearbook and go, oh, Marilyn Monroe went to Van Nuys, Robert Redford went to Van Nuys, yet Ronnie James Dio living in Encino. You That's right, Dio. And, you know, I can go on and on on how many famous people lived here. A lot of residents, famous and otherwise, have donated artifacts to the museum, which is a nonprofit and charges no admission. It is a, definitely a labor of love, and I think the valley deserves it. You know, and a lot of people kind of go, oh, my God, the valley. But there is a lot of history here. And once you come to the Valley Relics Museum, you go, you know what? I've never really seen the valley like in this light. Totally. For the California Report, I'm Peter Gilstrap in Chatsworth. Since Peter first recorded that story back in 2018, the museum has moved from the Chatsworth location into two brand new airplane hangars at the Van Nuys Airport. They were shut down for a while during shelter-in-place, but they've reopened now as long as you wear a mask inside. A place called... What? 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 Como? What? Starting route to Sizex. 
And now we're going to head northeast from the San Fernando Valley into the desert to the town of Zizix. That's spelled Z-Z-Y-Z-X. If you take I-15 near Death Valley, you might spot the sign. You won't find any shops or restaurants here, but you will find the Desert Studies Center. It's a research center run by a consortium of seven California State Universities. And Rob Fulton managed the place for 32 years as the only permanent resident of Zizix. We called him up a couple years ago, and he told us about a radio preacher named Dr. Curtis Springer, who named the spot in the 1940s. Back then, it was home to his Mineral Springs and Health Spa. Hello, folks. Your old friend Curtis Springer coming to you with a quarter hour of facts about life and how to live it as we answer your questions from Zizek Mineral Springs. Way out here in the heart of the great Mojave Desert of California. The story goes, whenever he would have discussions with others about matters of politics or religion, he always insisted on having the last word. And I think he thought it clever to invent the last word and then use it uh, for the name of his mineral springs. He would say things like, come to Zizek's Mineral Springs, the last word in health. There's this whole mythology about this being a ghost town and creepy stories about Doc Springer and... Don't believe everything you hear on the internet when you Google Zizix. <laughs> it's amazing the stuff I see up there. I've lived here a little over 31 years. Yeah, I'm the only permanent resident. It can be lonely at times. It can be exciting at times. It can be frustrating. <laughs> it can be all things. No two days alike, certainly. We just get used to long distances out here. Everything's distant from us. So the nearest town that has a grocery store is Barstow. That's a, an hour away. If I need Something else that Barstow doesn't have, I go to Victorville, that's uh, 100 miles away. It's a little bit of an inconvenience, but I'm so used to it at this point, and it gives me some time to listen to the radio and think other things while I'm driving. So, And, you know, when I go back to suburbia now, <laughs> I really don't feel comfortable. I mean, it's like it's, I grew up in this, but I don't relate to it anymore. That's kind of weird. That was Rob Fulton, who spent more than three decades managing the Desert Studies Center as the only resident of Zizix, California. We're sorry to say he passed away in a car accident in 2018, soon after our interview with him. Rob Fulton is remembered as an expert on the flora and fauna of his beloved Mojave Desert. Starting route to Mono Hot Springs. For our next stop, we're going to head north into the Sierra to take a dip in some healing mineral waters. We're climbing way up over Kaiser Pass, east of Fresno, into the rugged wilderness. It takes a little fortitude to get to Mono Hot Springs. And as Valley Public Radio's Alice Daniel tells us, you also need a tolerance for gooey mud and snakes. The road to Mono Hot Springs is narrow, winding, essentially one lane, even though cars go both ways. Potholes and bumps cause my car to bottom out. Fortunately, I have two adolescent backseat drivers, and one of them is hanging out the window. What are you doing? Well, I was going to look out of the car to see if there was gas leaking out oh, of that's it. Really smart, that's you. My sons, Atticus and Asher, they're 14 and 12 takes an hour to go 17 miles. Before this road was built in 1927 with dynamite and power jackhammers, pack horses and mules would take visitors over Kaiser Pass, sometimes guided by Mono Indians. 
the 1930s were the heyday for enthusiastic soakers. People loved hot springs. That was kind of the golden years. That's Jeff Winslow. He runs the historic Mono Hot Springs Resort. It's an easygoing, rustic place with stone cabins and a bathhouse where spring water is piped into private tubs. There's no sulfur smell, and the water is a perfect 101 degrees. A few years before the resort opened, the Depression-era Civilian Conservation Corps built a campground here, as well as concrete baths to hold in the spring water. Older Japanese-American farmers from the Central Valley would spend months here. In fact, there were so many people here, mostly Japanese, that they just took over the whole campground. Some of these concrete tubs still exist. The trail to them in a meadow along the San Joaquin River is mucky in parts. Kind of grabs you like wet clay. Some crazy people, like my kids, jump in the ice-cold, leg-numbing Sierra snow melt. Before hightailing it up the riverbank to plunge in a hot pool. Well, not to me. It feels pretty good, although the water's really dark and kind of slimy. But there's more to this area than soaking. Rugged wilderness all around. Alpine lakes framed by steep granite cliffs. One of them, Doris Lake, is a great swimming spot. But we've been told this place is slithering with snakes. I don't think I'll get all the way in. Why? I can't see the bottom and it's filled with snakes. I can't see. We've only seen one snake in there. Where there's one, there's more. If I, if I could see the bottom, I'd be okay with it. You can see the bottom. Finally, the kids get in and try to catch fish with their hands. I think that fish are pretty elusive. What's that mean? Hard to catch. No fish in hand, we head back for one last dip in one of the natural mineral pools. For the California Report, I'm Alice Daniel in Mono Hot Springs. <laughs> There's algae on the bottom. <laughs> Mono Hot Springs is open this summer, and visitors are welcome as long as they practice safe social distancing. You gotta wear a mask everywhere, but in the showers. The restaurant is closed, but you can buy a pre-made buffalo meat burrito for takeout at the store. Starting route to Half Moon Bay. And now we're going to head over to the coast to a music venue that's just a few steps away from the Pacific Ocean in Half Moon Bay. It's got kind of a mysterious and some say bizarre name, but it's also got some of the best live jazz you can find in California. Reporter Ryan Levy takes us to the Bach Dancing and Dynamite Society. It's a Sunday afternoon, and I'm sitting in a cozy concert room in Half Moon Bay with a few hundred other folks. We can see the sunset streaming through the stained glass window. We can hear the ocean just outside the door. And on the small stage in front of us, Paula West is belting. It all started with a guy named Pete Douglas. He was a beatnik beach rat who moved to Half Moon Bay in 1957 with his wife Patricia. They bought an old beer joint where they lived and hosted impromptu jam sessions. He loved jazz. This is his daughter, Barbara Rishing, who runs the place now. I mean, he grew up in Hermosa Beach in the L.A. area. He was sort of a child of the big bands. He loved to dance. 
One day in the early 60s, Douglas was dancing with some friends and listening to some Bach. And so one of his friends went down to the beach and started lighting dynamite. I don't know why. As the dynamite blew and they kept on dancing to Bach, one of Douglas's friends said, this must be the Bach Dancing and Dynamite Society. And sure enough, one of my dad's attorney's friends who was there, that was, he said, yeah, let's incorporate this thing. With an official name and organization in tow, Douglas built a two-story house onto the beer joint and moved the jam sessions right into his family's living room. He would set up a temporary stage and then we would swing the couch around right up to the uh, stage. And so the people that first got here were the luckiest because they could just sit right in the couch and watch, you know, hear the music. Douglas eventually added on a performance space next door with room for just under 200 seats and a small stage. Pianist Bill Evans recorded a live album here in 1973. The wood-paneled walls are lined with photos of jazz greats that have performed here, like Bobby Hutcherson, Carmen McRae. I fell in love with you the first time I looked into them, their eyes. Stan Getz. And today, Paula West. I literally can't remember a performance I didn't you know, really enjoy. Rob Malenka has been coming to the box since he first moved out here from Boston in 1978. Today, he's got a bottle of wine that he's sharing with his wife, Julie Cower. One of the perks of the Bach is you can bring your own food and alcohol. The experience is just makes you happy to be alive. I don't know how else to say it. But Cower says it's not just the music and the libations that keep them coming back to the Bach. We meet the nicest people here. It's just welcoming and a wonderful vibe of the group. And I, I think sitting around here, you can feel it too. And then there's the view. I find Kevin Daniels out on the second floor deck looking out over the ocean with his wife. To watch the sunset and be listening to jazz here, I, I can't imagine any place on the planet that's quite like where we are right now. It's the kind of place that regulars like Julie Cower kind of hope stays a hidden gem. You should never come here. No one should ever come here. <laughs> but putting on about 30 shows a year isn't cheap, so finding more regulars could be the key to keeping the Bach filled with music for years to come. For the California Report, I'm Ryan Levy in Half Moon Bay. Like most music venues around the state, the Bach Dynamite and Dancing Society is closed these days due to COVID-19, but they are planning to live stream some free concerts this summer. You're listening to the California Report magazine, and this holiday weekend, we're taking you on a virtual road trip. We're digging into our archives to visit some of California's hidden gems. And hey, if you're a fan of the stories that we bring you here on the California Report magazine, we are looking for listeners like you to participate in a short survey so we can learn more about what you'd like to hear on the show. You can help us out by visiting kqed.org slash survey. That's kqed.org slash survey. Thanks a lot. And now we're going to leave the coast and head inland to Nevada County, 
We're going to the town of Rough and Ready. It's about five miles west of Grass Valley, and resident Jaina Ashcraft says her small mining town has a big history. In 1850, it seceded from the nation and temporarily became its own republic until the townspeople realized they couldn't buy booze in neighboring counties if they were considered foreigners. And the town's name? Well, that came from a military captain who arrived looking for gold and wanted to pay tribute to the 12th president of the U.S., Zachary Taylor. The town of Rough and Ready got its name from Captain A.A. Townsend. He served under Zachary Taylor, who was known as Old Rough and Ready. When I tell people I come from Rough and Ready, they go, are you kidding me? When I've ordered stuff from different companies, they call back to double check that is this in fact rough and ready and we happen to live on to Helen Back Lane. And I think that kind of makes people shocked or they laugh. It's usually a good laugh. When we first got here, I was very charmed by um, a group called the Fruit Jar Pickers who would just get together on the front porch of the market and play homemade instruments. It's that kind of community. We're, we're very involved with our little town. We're very proud of our history. I think if you're just driving down the road, you're going to blink and miss it. There's so much more there. Don't pass history by. <laughs> Starting route to Lassen Volcanic National Park. And now we're going to keep heading north to Plumas County to another spot on our road trip that's got a bizarre and surprising name. It's called Bumpus Hell and it's in Lassen Volcanic National Park. Karen Hainer worked at Lassen for 20 years. She made the signs that warn people why it's risky to go off trail. You can actually smell bumpus hell before you actually see it. It smells like rotten eggs. It's uh, hydrogen sulfide. Bumpus hell has been described as like a little Yellowstone. We have boiling mud pots and boiling pools. Bumpus Hell is named after a, a gentleman that, by the name of Kendall Bumpus, who back in 1865 was a guide for a group. Kendall was warning everyone to be careful of where they put their feet and stepped because he knew how how crumbly the ground could be. And unfortunately, he took a misstep and his leg plunged into the, the boiling acidic water and it burned him very severely. That's where it got its name. It was considered to be his hell because of what he experienced. People say bum pass or bump ass or you know, they, they can't um, quite figure out. But Bumpus is what his last name was. Unfortunately, we have had uh, a couple of individuals in recent years where they have um, decided to 
to ignore the signs, and there have been um, a couple of accidents. We have visitation of over a half a million folks to the park each year, and Bumpus Hill is one of the three major trails that people want to go out and visit. It's like, how can I get there? How can I get to Bumpus Hill? Lassen National Park is open, but Bumpus Hell's trails are still closed due to heavy snow. Yep, it's July, but it's pretty high up there. Starting route to San Francisco. And for the last stop on our road trip, we're going to head from the wilds of nature to the city of San Francisco. Laura Clivens takes us to a church where the music is funky and the skating is holy. Wow, this is beautiful. We're waiting for 7 o'clock. Is it 7 o'clock? Oh, it's 7 o'clock exactly. Here we go, ready? Daniel Albert rings this church bell at 7 p.m. every Friday to signal the doors are open in this towering house of worship. Then the music starts. But instead of hearing this, I hear this. That's because I'm at the Church of Eight Wheels. It's a roller disco in a 120-year-old former Catholic church, just blocks away from San Francisco's famous Painted Lady row houses. The pews are pushed against the walls, and red and green lights reflect off a disco ball and onto the ceiling murals. David G. Miles Jr., known as the godfather of skate proselytizes. I am your roller disco minister. I mean, it's the Church of Eight Wheels, and I'm, as the godfather, that's my responsibility to spread religion everywhere that I go. Did you get that? Religion. The Church of Eight Wheels is Miles's brainchild. He moved to San Francisco in 1979. I started skating Golden Gate Park about my third or fourth day in San Francisco. I mean, I was looking for somewhere to go. When I went out there, I saw four people go by on roller skates. I'm like, wow, they do that here? I can do that. And went and got me a pair of skates. He met his wife there in the park, and later their kids learned to skate just after they learned to walk. Miles organized skate groups on top of the Embarcadero Freeway after the earthquake of 89, and he even skated from San Francisco to L.A. 14 times. I'm not that ambitious, but I figured I could at least skate for one night. I lace up my skates, and because I want to look something like Miles in his fuzzy purple leg warmers and sparkly red and black top hat, I put on the next best thing, a cupcake costume. All right, I'm going to come talk to you guys. Except I can't break. I'm afraid of using the brake. Okay. Whether you waddle or sail around the rink, there's something incredible about the giant stained glass windows and disco lights. This is what I call the 45-second skate lesson, because of course you can't do it. Miles, who takes turns DJing and skating, spots first-time rollers. Step flat, step flat, there you go. One lap is all you need. When you come back around here, you'll be going, hey, this is pretty cool. 
It never gets worse. It only gets better. I love it. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens in San Francisco. The indoor rink is closed during shelter-in-place, but the Church of Eight Wheels is holding outdoor skating events, including a socially distanced disco party in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park every Friday night. And that's it for our road trip this week. Thanks for coming along. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Maleon is our senior editor. Amanda Font is our director. And Rob Spate is our technical producer with additional engineering from Seal Muller. Our team also includes Asala Sanapur, Bianca Taylor, Susie Racho, and Ariella Markowitz. Have a great holiday weekend. I'm Sasha Coca. And this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the earth needs a good lawyer. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing, through science, the interdependence of all living systems. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.